Well, if you take your Bible, and let's start in Matthew chapter 5, of course. And if you'll keep it handy, we're going to be looking at a number of different passages tonight. Some we'll look at, some we'll see on the overhead, but you have some notes to follow along with there as well. But we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we are actually in the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes are telling us what a true Christian looks like. What a true Christian looks like. That's what the Beatitudes are. And we've worked our way through uh, to the end of verse 8. We're looking at verse 9 this evening. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And sons, of course, would include men, women. Let's not... Let's not get too <laughs> let's not get too worked up over that. Let's not let's not get a gender adjusted Bible out, okay? We can I think we can stick with what we have. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the sons of God. Uh, I want you to first, before we look at this verse in particular, I want you to notice the sequence of thought here. Uh, the last beatitude we looked at was Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so the sequence of thought here is, is moving from purity of heart to being a peacemaker. And when you think about it, that is, that is very natural, very natural. And the reason is, is because remember, purity of heart is sincerity of heart, or singleness of heart, and genuineness of heart. Uh, again, sincerity is, is, is probably the best of, of those. So sincerity of heart or purity of heart, if you think about it, is essential to any real reconciliation, which is what peacemaking is. It's reconciling. See? And so if you ever, ever hope to have any real, genuine reconciliation, uh, purity of heart would be necessary. There'd have to be some sincer- sincerity, right? It'd have to be real and Genuine, authentic, you see. So it's really a, 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 a really nice sequence here that goes on. Purity of heart, now we're going into blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, the more we pursue purity, the greater our peace will be. Now, as we talk about peacemakers, we want to distinguish what Jesus is talking about and what he's not talking about. You think about peacemakers, you might immediately think right now the conflict that's going on in the Middle East, um, which has been going on forever, okay? And it, it seems to boil at some points, and then the heat gets turned down, and then it gets turned back up. And uh, the, the, the peace that Jesus is talking about here, blessed are the peacemakers, is not necessarily, in other words, it's not first and foremost peace among nations, even though that's that's nice, and even though that it seems like every president that comes along seems to make it their goal of like I want to be the one who finally establishes real, genuine peace in the Middle East. Again, that that's that's not what Jesus is talking about. And you might say, well, how do we know that? And and we know it because later when we get into the real body of the Sermon on the Mount, we find that it has more to do with interpersonal relationships. In fact, the, the peace that Jesus is speaking about, blessed are the peacemakers, would come under probably two headings. 
it's, it's our responsibility as, uh, as people who have, have been reconciled to God, our responsibility, one, to, to take the gospel of peace to the world, and secondly, to be reconciled to one another. Okay? So, so it, it, that seems to be what Jesus is, is talking about more is, again, our responsibility to take the gospel of peace as people who, who've already been reconciled to God, to take this, and, and, and as we'll see in a moment here in some verses, about you know, taking the message of reconciliation to others and also uh, being peacemakers and being reconciled to one another. You see, if we go back, uh, go back to, again, Genesis chapter 3. It's a big, Genesis chapter 3 is a big deal. Um, there's the fall, and, and there's the breakdown in the garden. And, and what we see is from a result of the breakdown in the garden, there's a breakdown between a relationship between mankind and God and between mankind and mankind. Uh, and so what does God do about that? Well, uh, God sends the Prince of Peace. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, to one of his titles is Prince of Peace. And sends, sends him to make peace between God and man by removing sin. So what I want you to do first, just before we look at anything else, let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul really uh, nails this down so well in Ephesians chapter 2 to help us to see that this, this reconciliation of how, how man has been separated from God, but Christ, is, is the, as our peace, has come to reconcile us to God and to remove sin, to make peace, you see. So at Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start reading at verse 11 and read through the end of verse 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh call the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of, the, of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both. Both here would be Jew and Gentile, okay? Reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, 
you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So notice here, uh, there's numerous mentions of peace. Christ being our peace, Christ bringing peace, hostility being done away with. What, what kind of hostility? Hostility between Jew and Gentile, uh, hostility between us and God. And so since this has happened, since, since, this is, since this is real, we are recipients of this peace, the Christian's role as a peacemaker includes now the spreading of the gospel of peace. So we, we read here where, you know, what's happened, what Christ has done for us, how we've been brought into the household of God. It's all by grace, all through Christ, faith in him. But now as we turn over to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, we're going to see our role as being uh, ambassadors uh, for the spreading of this gospel of peace. So the first thing we're looking at here is, again, this peace between us and God, being reconciled to God, and our responsibility uh, as we turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, our responsibility to spread the gospel of peace. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to start reading at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled, okay, there's that word, reconciled, made peace, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This means peacemakers are people who bring peace to others because they have it in themselves first. We've been reconciled to God. Uh, now we are ambassadors. We carry forth the message of this peace. Of be, be reconciled to God. Every believer shares the responsibility of living lives and speaking words that contribute to the conversion of others. Every Christian. Every Christian shares the responsibility of living our lives, and speaking words that can contribute to. Again, we can't force, but can contribute to the conversion of others. So that, that is one way of thinking about peace. Can't, can't, overlook, can't overlook this part of our being reconciled to God, Christ being our peace, and now uh, our responsibility to see that this gospel of peace is spread to others. But this is not the only element of peacemaking we are called to. We are to seek peace among ourselves. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time on. Uh, and we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. So if you'll turn over there with me, we'll start there. We're going to look at a few verses uh, and talk about this together because this is a, uh, a joint challenge that we all face of uh, seeking peace among ourselves. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we want to look first at verse 15. And this is in a context of uh, 
of, of, of marriage and um, of what Paul is talking about in marriage. But look, look at verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Uh, that is, God call, for the Christian, God calls us to peace, meaning he calls us to make things better. In, in relationships, as we'll see, as we'll see, you know, as, as far as it is possible for us. We'll get to that in just a moment. But we, we are to be contributors to peace. That, that's our goal. We're, we're, we're moving in that direction. Why? Because God has called us. That's our calling, primarily to peace. That's the direction we're going in, to make things better and contribute to the peace. There's an interesting passage over in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20, that I want you to turn to because, uh, you know, there's a number of passages about this subject, but this one here uh, I think puts it so plain. In Proverbs chapter 12, and this, this one might, might help us uh, maybe the most. I don't know. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. Hmm. Plan peace. Uh, actually, the, the word, the, the original word used there is, is those who, who counsel, those who advise toward peace. In other words, again, going, going in that direction, planning for it, seeking it, that being the goal. It, 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 here's, what, here's what verse 20 looks like uh, when it says to plan for peace. Uh, it, it, it would be whether you're, whether you're counseling someone, whether you're just at what I would call informal counseling. You know, you, someone comes to you and, and there's a conflict going on. Uh, and they're trying to, you know, they're, they're talking about it and they're trying to figure a way forward. And so you're kind of a mediator. And you, to plan for peace is to ask what is the best way to get to peace? Start, you start thinking about what is the best way to get to peace? That, that, that's the goal. Uh, let's think about the best ways to get there. Or, or to put it this way, what would promote peace in this situation? That's what it means to plan. Those who plan peace, okay? Uh, so first thing we ought to see here is, is what says blessed are the peacemakers, is it doesn't just happen. Plan, got to plan for peace. Those you've got to be thinking about what is the best way to get there. Uh, what 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 what, uh, what what would what what are some of the things that would promote peace in this situation? You see, in in that same chapter, if you look over at verses eighteen and nineteen of Proverbs chapter twelve, look look here. It says, "There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts." but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Verse 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Now, what's interesting about those verses leading up to verse 20 is we're seeing comparisons here. The Hebrew, Hebrew parallelisms in verse 8, those who, whose harsh words are like sword thrusts, this is the kind of stuff that leads to social disintegration. People using rash words, you know, just like stabbing somebody with their words, with their tongue. 
That doesn't bring peace. That brings the opposite of peace. It leads to social disintegration. On the other hand, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. In other words, th- these verses are kind of showing us, again, a plan for peace. Um, what is the best, what's the best way to get peace? Not use rash words, right? <laughs> Not use harsh words. Uh, another place in the Proverbs tells us, you know, a soft answer turns away wrath. And so we start, we start looking at the situation. We thought, how, how can we get there? Is, if, if there's any way possible, here's how we need to plan to get there. Uh, counseling for peace, planning for peace, leads to social cohesion as opposed to disintegration. A good example, a, a good example of this, I think, You'll see it on the overhead on this one is Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, Paul gives us here some, uh, you might say, some plan or some tools for peacemaker. He says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. How? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, not only, obviously, we see the goal being the bond of peace, cohesion, okay? Uh, that's the goal, but he gives us some tools here, right? He gives us some tools, peacemaking tools. What, what does he list? You know, humility, gentleness, not harshness, not rashness, but gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. In other words, it, you know, with, with the, forbearing is, is what it's often called, uh, which means putting up with one another. Um, these are, th- there's, in other words, there's more to making peace than simply finding a skilled negotiator, right? I mean, there's people who are professionals at negotiating and, you know, and, and bringing about some kind of negotiation. But, but what, what you need more than a negotiation a settled negotiation. What you need is reconciliation. See, there's a difference between kind of, well, okay, we're all right. You know, I said I'm sorry. They said I'm sorry. But the question is, are you reconciled? Are you reconciled? Are you at peace? For example, a husband and wife can, you know, can go to marriage counseling, and they can get some advice, and, and they can, you know, can kind of say, okay, well, all right, and then they go home. But are they reconciled? In other words, are they able to live with one another at peace. See, have they been reconciled? And so peace is, more, uh, than, peace is more than just finding a negotiator, somebody to kind of, you know, it, it's a goal. It's a goal. It is our objective. In fact, uh, for, for those who join the church here at Calvary, I wish I'd have got a copy of this, but we asked we ask them four questions. You know, will, will they, you know, will they uh, be, be faithful to attend? Will they be faithful to uh, give? Will they be faithful to serve? But then the last thing, will, will they, will they uh, are they willing to uh, maintain peace and harmony within the body? See? In other words, will they make that their goal? Will they say, look, you know, there's going to be a lot with, you know, when, when, when you're in a, you know, in a church group or any kind of social group, there, you know, it's, it's fraught with all kinds of breakdown. And so doubling up on the commitment of, look, I want to seek peace. I'm going to seek maintaining peace and harmony in the body. Now, 
peace that Jesus is talking about is more than what's called appeasement. Familiar with that word, appeasement? Uh, Appeasement is uh, peace at any price. And that is not what Jesus is talking about. I found this little interesting thing. I hope it's interesting to you. It says, when the United States first entered World War I, the president of Columbia University in New York City sent a questionnaire to the entire faculty of Columbia University asking them what they proposed to do to help with the war effort. One member of the faculty was a pacifist, uh, sent back his answer. It said, here's what I'm going to do, mind my own business. Now, that may be what a pacifist does, but it, 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 it is not what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker knows that dealing with conflict is his or her business. Peacemaking is not a passive characteristic. The language Jesus uses is active. In other words, when we, when we look at this beatitude, Jesus is using active language. A peacemaker is one who attacks the situation, who confronts it head on. Blessed is the peace, what? What does it say? Peace what? Maker, okay? So in other words, it's an active effort. This peace is not, again, it's not appeasement, and it's not just the absence of conflict. Again, you know, uh, use, use an example of a married couple. Uh, they may be able to go home and, and there's an absence of conflict, but have they been reconciled? Is there a wholeness? Has the wholeness of the marriage been restored? And so let's talk for a minute now about how difficult this is, okay? okay we talk, we've been talking for a moment. This is our goal. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, you'll see a verse in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 once you look at it with me. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We're looking at the first part. Strive for peace with everyone. Now what, just looking at that first part, what, what, what does that verse tell you? What, what, what jumps out at you when you read those words? Tell me. Anything jump out to you? Okay, every, with everyone, of course. Yes. Uh, strive, Okay. That word right there tells us that peacemaking may not be easy. I mean, we, already, we should know that, okay? We should know that. But the, the important thing is God knows it. God knows that it will not be easy. So what, what do we have to do? Strive. And that, that word there means, when you look it up, it, it means to, to work and labor until you sweat. So it's an intensity, okay? Uh, a peacemaker... A peacemaker may have to make waves. Again, they're not appeasers. Uh, it's not peace at any price. Uh, they may have to make waves. Now, here's where I want us to... It's raining. It's, it sounds like it's not like it's poor, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so we may be here a while. So anyway, uh, let, let's talk about this for a minute. What, why, why, why do you think that peacemaking is not always easy. Why, why, do you, why do you suppose that is? Anybody want to offer up some reasons? Dayla? Pride? Okay, excellent. Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay. Pride, inner conflict with, you know, a person, you know, who's involved in, in you know, in the conflict. Anybody else want to offer up something? Gary? Yeah, okay. One reason peacemaking is not easy 
and, and D, D, you know, D hit on this. One reason peacemaking is not easy is because conflict follows some people because there is so much unresolved conflict within them. In other words, they, they are like a, internally, they are like a boiling cauldron. And, and so what happens is they bump into other people and it just spills out. In other words, they've got, they've got so much, um, you know, I was reading this the other day, there, there, where, where a person, let's, let's, use, let's use Cain for an example rather than, that, rather than what I was going to use. Let's use Cain. Cain, you read, you read about him, he's angry. God even asked him, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? Of course, we know why he was. But, but that, just like a, you know, it's just boiling, you know? And, and there are some people you meet, they're, they're angry. Uh, and you start trying to peel back the layers and, you know, they're, you know, they're the, the, oftentimes, like in Cain's case, angry at God. Just angry at God. Uh, the other day, this is what I was reading, it was where, where this man uh, was a professor and uh, had, a, had a, a young man in, in, the, in the class and he was, this young man was a Christian. He just was constantly attacking this young man. Just, just ruthless, and final day, final day, young man was graduating and uh, went went to the professor to thank him. You know, <laughs> it's been the last thing I'd have done, but went to thank him. You know, and the professor said, "Well, what are you going to do with yourself?" And he said, "Well, sir, I, you know, I feel called to be a pastor. Total waste of your life. Total waste of your life." You know? And as it turned out, this young man did not know this until months later. This professor had a sister who was a missionary in China. And he was angry at God because of the supposed, you know, it, in other words, the way he interpreted it was, God called my sister away. You know, God took my sister from me to go on this wasted life of going to China. So she's mad with God. See? And so there's this internal conflict going on, just unresolved issues. And there, there are people running around all over the place, and they're in, they're in churches, multiple, <laughs> they are, with just internal, unresolved conflict within themselves. And so where they go, it, it has a way of spilling out, you see. Um, t- take your Bible and turn over to Romans chapter 16, okay? and we'll kind of uh, l- look at a few, couple of passages, actually, that's going to help us to... Think about this. Uh, Romans chapter 16 and verses 17 through 18. Paul's given some final instructions to the church at Rome. And verse 17, he said, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Some translations put it this way. Um, watch out. Watch out for those who are contentious. Contentious. A contentious person, again, is someone, again, like a, a, just a, a, they're boiling. You know, they've, got, they've got issues going on internally. And so... They spill on someone else, and then there becomes this conflict. And so you, you try to resolve the conflict, but it becomes almost impossible because of the extenuating issues in this person's own life. Like Dale mentioned, you know, pride. You know, it's, it's like 
It's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's like my mom, my mom, my mom or my parents, you know, they didn't appreciate me. They didn't love me. And so now that colors every relationship that they have. They see everybody as their mom or their dad, you see. And, 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 and so these unresolved anger, conflict that goes on. See, you'll see this one on the overhead. I think James chapter 4. This, this, is, this is really good here. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. An internal warfare going on. Why, 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 James, why, why are you, why are you conflict with one another? Why, why is there these quarrels going on between one another? He, 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 and he noticed James doesn't say, well, you know, it's them. It's the passions that are at war within you. See, again, he's being conflict within a divided heart. Remember, remember what purity of heart was? Purity of heart was an undivided heart, you see. And so, so what we're seeing is someone who, someone who is, 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 has this war going on within them. There's a conflict, a divided heart. They're divided, therefore, and they themselves become divisive. They're divided, and so every situation they get, every relationship, there's, there's, there's this divisiveness that follows them. Conversely, on the other hand, on the other hand, it's being a person who says, look, Look, I'm all about following Jesus. My goal, my goal is peace. And, and so we, we must, again, in order, in order to be a peacemaker, we must have peace in our own heart, you see. In order to pursue that goal, we must have peace in our own heart. We must know, now here's, here's where we need to turn a corner and, and think about something. Um, we're not going to always succeed, right? We'll, we'll, how many, I see the hands of all those who feel like we can succeed at every effort of peacemaking. You see your hand. <laughs> we will not always succeed, though we must try. Okay. Here's, here's just something I've, I've run across that really helped me to think this through, not only this but other issues regarding trying hard in the Christian life and not always succeeding but still trying. Uh, Bishop Handley Mole, uh, back in the 1800s, wrote a book entitled Thoughts on Christian Sanctity. The beginning of the book, first he talked about aim. And uh, I think we have this in your notes and the overhead. Here's the first part. Here's the aim. Here's the aim of every Christian. I think he puts it very well. To be like Christ, to displace self from the inner throne and to enthrone him, to make not the slightest compromise with the smallest sin. We aim at nothing less than to walk with God all day long, to abide every hour in Christ and he and his words in us to love God with all the heart and our neighbor as ourselves. Now that, I think, I think we would all agree, that's a good aim, right? That's, that's the target that we're, we're aiming at. Uh, but he also goes on to mention limits. There's our goal, there's our goal, but then there's our limits. Here's what he had to say about this. I mean, of course, not limits in our aims, for there must be none, nor limits in divine grace itself, for there are none, but limits, however caused, in the actual attainments by us of Christian holiness. There will be limits to the last and very humbling limits. Do you understand what he's saying there? In other words, 
and I think, I think this is very helpful on a lot of different levels, but no limits on our aim. We are, we are aiming. We are aiming for peace. But there will be limits. Yet we must go after, there's, there's an aim, there's limits, but we must go after the possibilities. And so I want you to turn to one final passage that probably all we have time for, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. This, one, this verse is always helpful. I cannot tell you how many times I've met with individuals who did not know this was even in the Bible. People who frequent the church quite regularly had no idea this was even in the Bible. And for them, it was a great help. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, see the word if possible, see? We go for the possibilities, right? We're, we're aiming. There's always limits, but we go for the possibilities. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, if possible. Why would it not be possible? Why? There's more than one party involved, right? As far as left with us, as far as it depends on us, but there's more than us, right? There's more, in, more involved than, than just us. But as far as we're concerned, here's our aim. So, if possible, which means, again, that it may not all, we may not always succeed, even though we are aiming. Take, take for example, you can do this in your own time. Read about David and his son Absalom. Oh, how David longed to be reconciled to his son. As far as it depended on him, see? But it didn't just depend on him, right? It depended upon Absalom as well, and Absalom was not, not interested in being reconciled. Now, we've only got five minutes, so let's take the last five minutes to look at this. It said, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, just stop and remember, the Beatitudes are telling us what a true Christian looks like. And so what do do we know uh, about true Christians? We know that they are people who have received Christ. And what does John tell us? For those who have received Christ, what? They have been given the right power to become what? Sons of God. So we're already, if, if you're Christian, already sons of God. So what Jesus is not saying is if you'll go out and be a peacemaker, if you'll go out and then you can earn the right to get into the family of God. You're not saying that, right? Understand? Beatitudes are not about earning our way in. Beatitudes are just telling us, look, this is, this is what it looks like to be a Christian saved by grace through faith in Christ. So this is the blessing. The blessing is is blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemaking is not the blessing. Being called the sons of God is the blessing. So why do you suppose this is a blessing? See, we're already, we're already sons and daughters of God by grace through faith in Christ. But what Jesus is saying is this. When you and I do something that is making peace, we are demonstrating that we are partakers of the character of our Father in heaven. In other words, we're, 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 you know, there's, there's, a, there's a technical legal sense in we, which we are. We are the sons and daughters of God. But now, when we do things to make peace, we're demonstrating that legal reality. You see? I mean, we're, 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 showing, we're showing outwardly what's real in our hearts. We are, we are being like our Father in heaven. When we do things to make peace, 
It would be like if, if, if somebody was watching you with the aim and shooting for the possibility of peace, it would be like them standing off the side saying, wow, how like, how like their father is that daughter? Or how like, how like their father is that son? In other words, we are reflecting our father's peacemaking character when we are peacemakers. I wish we had more time because I want you to see a verse on the overhead here that, uh, that may, it may sound like it flips everything we set up upon its head. It doesn't, but Jesus said this, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. <laughs> what? <laughs> Everything we've been talking about, Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. He said, I'm not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Uh, what Jesus means is, is this. He's, he, he's not turned everything that we just talked about on his head. Conflict will be the inevitable result of Jesus' coming. For Jesus to come into the world, the inevitability is there will be conflict because some will go after him and some will not. And what we need to see in this, we should never, we ourselves should never seek conflict or be responsible for it, Okay? So when Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace, we should not take the attitude, well, me neither then, you know. Me neither because I want to be like my Lord, you know. No, not, 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 in, not, not in this case. We have to understand what Jesus is meaning here. Conflict is the inevitable result of Jesus' coming, but our role is to seek conflict to be peacemakers. Let me read you one final thing and we'll be, we'll be going. Ken Sand, um, Ken Sand wrote a book entitled The Peacemaker, a biblical guide to resolving personal conflict. And uh, here's, here's uh, some helpful advice. Peacemakers are people who breathe grace to others in the midst of conflict. Since we cannot breathe out what we have not breathed in, this process hinges on our moment-to-moment relationship with God. We must continually breathe in God's grace by studying and meditating on His Word, praying, thanking him for his mercy and rejoicing in our salvation, worshiping him, partaking of the Lord's Supper, and enjoying the fellowship of other believers. As we are filled with his grace, we can then breathe it out to others by confessing our wrongs, bringing them hope through the gospel, lovingly showing others their faults, forgiving them as God has forgiven us, and manifesting in our words and actions the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When even one person in a conflict is faithfully breathing out this kind of grace, others will often receive God's grace through us. As they do, they are less likely to be defensive and more inclined to listen to our concerns. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, now that we are your children by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we are called to be imitators of our Father in heaven in our words and our actions to, to resemble the character of our God and to enable us and to empower us toward this. You give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so may we go this evening and walk in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. We will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, which the lusts of the flesh often lead to, to these kind of conflicts and 
lead to the perpetuation of, of more conflict and leads to pride. Father, tonight, if there's anything, if there's anything in our heart, maybe, maybe some unresolved issues, maybe anger with you, uh, maybe a, a division in our heart that that is that is hindering is hindering reconciliation with our brother, our sister. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you would you put a finger on that tonight? Would you would you, would you lean upon that tonight? And, in your kindness, help us to see what we've not been willing to see. Because we are called to be peacemakers. We, when we do that, we are demonstrating that we are truly of the family of God. So may we go do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. For the sake of Christ, who is our peace. And everyone said, Amen. Good night, everybody.